0: Why did you choose kindergarten?
1: <laughs> so it kind of chose me <laughs> and um, it was a good fit. And it was almost like, you know, like, yeah, this is where I'm meant to be. So I originally thought I wanted to teach fourth grade, fifth grade. And so all of my practicums in college at Penn state were, was in fourth grade and fifth grade, believe it or not. I loved it. And I got the opportunity to teach in England, do my student teaching in England. And so you kind of get what you get what you get when you go over there. And um, when I went over to England, I had two choices. Um, it, one's called reception, which is preschool, and the other is called Years one and two, which is five, six, and seven year olds combined. Um, it's in a combined classroom. And so I kind of went back and forth, like, which one should I pick? And then when it was my turn to pick, they said, oh, we only have one thing left. <laughs> and it was years one and two. And I was like, okay. I'm like, anything older? They're like, no. So um, that's where I kind of started to really fall in love with that, that age group. And when I came back and got my first job, it was in D.C., and they only had kindergarten. And I decided that the first job I get offered, I'm going to take because it was it was a meant-to-be thing. And I was willing to teach wherever. Um, I, I kind of had the travel bug, so I wanted to move from Pennsylvania, didn't know where. And I just said, I'm going to put my applications out there. Of course, DC is going to say, we need teachers, and they need a kindergarten. And I said, yep, I got it. I'll take it. And I've been there ever since. I just, I love it.
0: So what is it that is so special about kindergarten?
1: Two things. They are honest and they'll do anything for a hug or a cookie or just a thumbs up. So the honesty component just comes from that. They're just they're in that their development. They're concrete. So they're going to say what they think and, um, And it's just so pure. It's before, I feel like it's the age before, you know, the negative components of education could come into play. So they're willing to take risks. They're excited about the silliest, smallest little thing. And you actually get a glimpse as an adult of what learning really is supposed to be about. Um, It's supposed to be about curiosity and engagement and, you know, finding the joy in the little things. And I remember I had this weird looking box that I got for Christmas and it had like, I don't know, makeup and jewelry in it or whatever. And it was fluffy and silly. And so I decided to bring it in and it becomes our mystery box. And any time and every time that box would be out on my teaching chair, it would be like the biggest thing happened in Mrs. Dracinos' classroom. And I would have like a Unifix cube inside and be like, what do you think we're going to do today? And they're like, Oh, they've seen Unifix cubes every single day in kindergarten. But, for some reason it's in the box, it means something. And so it's, it's that honesty. It's that pure learning um, because it's just, it's, I want to bottle it up. It's just, it's that, it's that enjoyable for me to witness that in action.
0: So that very nicely segues to a question that even for me as a new parent, I think about all the time, like, When my child is still at home before they've gone to even preschools or anything, what should or what helps young learners be successful in the kindergarten classroom, which is likely the first time they're going to be going to school for a full day?
1: Right. So two things, oral language and interactive play. So, that oral language component captures the broader aspect of language development. What we know is that when young children, as early as being in the womb, are being talked to, they're hearing inclinations of voices, um, they're hearing different words, different syllables, um, that starts the process of that language acquisition or language development. Of course, as they get older, we want you to read and talk to them about the pictures, not just read. Um, But then when we come to language development and interactive play, when we are interacting with young ones, we really want to increase that conversation component. And so, wow, what are you building? What would happen if Tell me about. And so all of those things are encouraging that child to use a language. At first, that language is going to be sounds. It's going to be um, even communication with um, with their hands, with, with um, gestures. And then you're going to start to match those gestures with the words that they're trying to say. Um, so when we have that oral language component and that vocabulary development, we see that that is actually what a good reader's foundational skills are in. So that reading at at, age eight or third grade, if we can look at that excellent reader, we can trace that back to that language acquisition as young as infants.
0: And tell me more about interactive play because I find that really interesting as well.
1: (laughs) So kids need to have that peer interaction, right? But not only with peers, but with other people. And their favorite people are the people that are living in the home with them. So it might be parents, it might be guardians, it might be older siblings. When we are interacting with children in their natural play environment, we can increase their curiosities by asking questions. We can integrate naturally what we would want them to be learning rather than sitting them down at a table and having them practice writing letters and numbers. So it's through their natural ability to play that you're interacting with them. So I might say, well, what what are you building today? Charlie, mommy has a few minutes. Let's build something together. Get your Legos out. And I might say, oh, my goodness, like that's a lot of Legos. How many are green? Let's use all the green ones today. And we might count as we're building. Now to Charlie, he's playing with mom. So it's an emotional regulation that he's experiencing. But he's also then learning those cognitive skills on top of that. And that's where we see retention of understanding. And learning.
0: So, I, When it comes to our current state, which means currently we're in distance learning, currently you know, we're not face-to-face, what's keeping you up at night about that situation for our youngest learners?
1: I think what is keeping me up at night about the current pandemic is that although asynchronous learning, although seeing teachers and seeing your peers via screen can do a lot, what keeps me up at night is that it cannot replicate completely human to human interaction. And so, what I know about child development is that it is so important for peer relationships to occur. And it's interesting to me because we've never had a situation like this before. So it very well could turn research on its side, upside down with, wow, interactions virtually are are still being able to be maintained. Um, To what extent, we don't know. But we've never had this opportunity where we couldn't have human-to-human interaction. So, where research tells us that is what is most important for young children, this is challenging that um, those theories, um, and I think it's to be determined. So, I worry about the implications of the lack of human-to-human interaction. Then I also kind of get excited about what this might teach us in the field of education. Um, in in educational psychology um, and in neuroscience, about the relationships that we know need to be built and how this changes or adds to the possibility of interactions with others.
0: Last one that leads me to a follow on.
1: <laughs> so
0: let's say, um, let's say I'm a frontline worker right now. I'm an essential worker. My student is home with a caregiver part of the day. What can I do to make sure that their development in the skills that they've started continues?
1: I think the most important thing is to keep a routine, to be as consistent as you can in this process. Um, And I think that you have to understand and trust that your children are not going to be um, hurting in a cognitive way from this. Where I think we have to start filling in the gaps is that emotional support. So it is definitely um, Maslow over blooms in this part. I want I want families and, and parents who are on the front lines to to know that. Because your child is at home and because they may not be with you because you're needed as well, they're not going to be hindered by this cognitively. Um, We will, as educators, make sure that they are getting what they need once we see them again, whether that's seeing them again via virtual or seeing them again in person. Um, What I think we need to do is just continue to reassure our students, our children at home, that this is a weird time. But we're safe and we're together and we are learning through every little thing we do. We're learning when we're cooking dinner. We're learning when we're putting our clothes away. All of these things about life right now, we're learning. And it may look a little different. It may feel a little bit different than being in school. But everything we're doing, we're learning. So again, it's it's reassurance for families. It's reassurance for our students and our, our children at home that, you know, them missing their friends is normal and then it's also about knowing that we are in this together as educators and we will make sure that your child and your children are not going to be held back in a cognitive sense because of this.
0: It brings up a good question then is that I think we uh, and this is just my own caveat, I think uh, we look at learning as something that happens at school, and one of the biggest things that I feel like I've had the opportunity to to do with this time is I've learned a lot of stuff um, within my own house. I didn't have to go anywhere I didn't have to do it i didn't I didn't even have to go to YouTube like it's just stuff that I've finally had the time to do. Um, And I think uh, maybe more so than anything, there's that, like, just part of investment um, and the presence of, like, you can learn a ton cooking. You can learn a ton trying to put a seed into the ground and seeing what happens. Um, So would you say that I I think in general, you and I have talked in the past about how much you advocate for sort of uh, that present tense learning um, what are some activities that jump to your mind that maybe the person at home who does have a primary age child uh, should think about? Maybe just two or three of them.
1: So two that I have made it a point to do is take a walk. And on that walk, you will have some type of Scavenger conversation, not necessarily a hunt, but a conversation. So, what's something different that we see today that we didn't see yesterday for young kids? Um, the other thing is something simple that teachers do have a wonder jar. We have a curiosity jar, a curiosity. Uh, or wonder wall in our classrooms. Well, families can do this at home. And so I've recently started that with Charlie and with Melina. So my four-year-old Charlie and my 14-year-old Melina, obviously they have different wonders. Melina wants to learn about crocheting and I'm teaching her that. Charlie wanted to know how many seashells can you find at the beach or how many seashells are at the beach. So I said, well, on our next walk, let's go there. And so to kind of funnel his inquiry I said, let let mommy set her timer on her on her phone and we'll see how many seashells we can find before the timer goes off. That was his natural curiosity. I couldn't have thought of that. But I did I did kind of put a little bit of some parameters there. And, you know, that created more of an experience. So we're talking maybe, and I think what you're referring to, Chad, is like that experiential learning. That learning that is that encompasses every single thing that we do. So those are two simple things. Um, get out in nature. Do things in nature. Um, because we know that. We know that we need that to be healthy, um, but we also need to model that for children as well and do that collaboratively with them. And then this is the opportunity where instead of having genius hours, you're going to have genius days. Yeah. Allow yourself the autonomy and agency and encourage that in your students to say, hey, we've got some time. What is it you want to learn?
0: Right?
1: And I will walk with you to facilitate that learning.